So, Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. But by what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do, then, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, I wouldn't mind betting if uh, some of those words just flew over your head because it's just not easy to to stay tuned to all of that but what we're going to do is we're going to pause there the kids are going to leave for their particular group and then we're going to pick up and uh, carry on after they've left so I'll just pause and the children will go anyway here we are Romans chapter 3 verse 21 and last week if you remember we began with a very strange question we started off by saying can you have an unangry God and the first answer was, yes, uh, you must have a God of love, not a God of anger. But then we scratched our heads and we thought about it. And we thought, actually, the whole world is fed up with the God they say doesn't do anything about the evil in it. So in other words, the world is expecting a God to be angry with evil. And you don't have a God unless you've got a God who can get angry. Otherwise, evil's got no brakes on. So, last week we saw that the first answer, the obvious answer, wasn't quite the right answer. Well, let me come up with another question this week. If there is a God, can God be a forgiving God? Is it possible for God to forgive? Now, that's another strange question. People will say, yes, of course he can. It's God's job to forgive people. Right about the Second World War, there was an English poet called W.H. Arden. And he said, I like to commit crimes 
God likes to forgive them. The world really is admirably arranged. Okay, our job is to commit crime, God's job is to forgive crime, the world's hunky-dory, <coughs> we can get along with that. Except, when you scratch your head, you wonder how can God forgive criminals? I mean, we would hate it if our judges did that, wouldn't we? I mean, take that chap last Wednesday who killed 17 people, gunned them down in Parkland, uh, Florida. Would you be happy if he goes in front of the judge and the judge says, good to meet you, I forgive you. That's it. Would you be happy with that? Would anyone be happy with that? We're hardwired to want fairness, don't we? All of us, whoever we are. And therefore, judges are meant to be fair. That means, yes, to be fair means you let off the innocent, but judges must punish the guilty. And that would be true of the judge of the whole world, as the Bible calls God. The God, the judge of the whole world, his job is not to forgive. The God of the whole universe, his job is to uphold justice in the universe. That's his job. So yes, God is fair. He will let righteous people off. But the trouble is, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you realize that no one is righteous. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. So that means that God would be entirely fair to judge non-righteous people or what we might say if the word judge seems a little bit a distant one God would be right to be very angry with non-righteous people and if there's no one who is righteous that means God would be very right to be very angry with you and with me so here's the next question if God God's anger is coming my way, is there a way that I can escape? And here's the good news, every religion in the world will say yes. And you think, oh, you're right then. Except, you've got to ask, would that be right? See, let me put it like this. To understand this very difficult part of the Bible, let me just ask you to imagine two doors. Can you imagine a door? No? Okay, I'll show you a door. Okay, here's a door. Let's call this the law door. It's there in, um, uh, in verse uh, uh, 21, what you might call actually the law and the prophets door. And what the law and the prophets do is they tell you, look, there are certain rules and if you keep those rules, then you will, God will not be angry with you because you will be righteous for keeping those rules. Are you with me so far? That's what the door 
of the law tells you and every single religion in the world will agree that that's a good door to work in to walk in most religions kind of give you the same kind of advice about doing the right thing don't kill okay every single religion in the world will probably tell you that but I'll tell you what the best religion in the world was the Jewish religion because they really knew how to do the things that would keep God happy because if you look at chapter 3 and verse 2 the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God they knew better than anybody else how to keep God happy and to keep his anger away from them their rules came straight out of heaven and you might therefore say that the best religion of all says here are things you can do and if you do all those things it is like climbing a ladder to get to God and God will be very happy with you if you could do all those things the only snag is chapter 3 verse 20 because what you see in chapter 3 verse 20 is that actually we can't keep the law we break the law because by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight and then you see something really shocking you see the reason why God gave you those laws is not because he wants us to keep them because actually it is mission impossible to obey God with rules really you can't do it and so what happens is instead of the law being a ladder to God which is what most people think it is what the law is there to do is more like a thermometer to tell us how sick we are because we've broken all the rules and God gave us the law to see to show us that we're not good rule keepers we are brilliant rule breakers as it says at the end of verse 20 through the law comes knowledge of sin not an experience of righteousness it's a knowledge of sin you get to realize how wrong you are when you look at the law and see how much you've broken it so what Jesus does is he opens up another door and I'm going to call that the Lord's door it's there in verse 21 but now the righteousness of being of God has been manifested apart from the law different door get it although the law and the prophets bear witness to it you see as we've seen in the previous chapters of Romans the only way to avoid God being angry with you is if you have a matching righteousness with God okay if your righteousness you've got to be as good as he is to avoid his anger now that is really hard for us to take in 
because we think that kind of anything over the 50% mark is going to be okay. But the Bible says, no, we've got to be as righteous as God. And because we're fairly sick and we don't quite actually get that into our heads, this passage actually mentions it four times. See in verse 21, now the righteousness of God has been manifested. See it again in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith. See it again in verse 25, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. Verse 26, sorry, verse, verse 25, uh, to show God's righteousness. Verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time. You've got to have God-grade righteousness, is what Paul is saying. Now you say, how on earth am I going to manage that? I mean, according to chapter 3, verse 10, I haven't got any righteousness. We've all, as it says in verse 23, fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? You see, I think it means this, that God makes every human being to show how glorious he is. So you should be able to look at any human being and say, that's what God's like. Because that's a person made in God's image. But every day, people would have reason to look at my life and to say, I don't want a God like him. That's a disgrace as a human being. He falls so far short of God's glory. I know people would look at you and say the same thing too, if you were honest. So God should be angry because we have all, if you like, fallen short the glory of God. None of us are fit for purpose because our purpose was to show what a glorious God he is. But then what God does is he puts forward Jesus as a sacrifice. That word propitiation is a big word. Uh, don't be frightened of it. Okay, It's an anger-soaking word. Propitiation is, if you like, an anger sponge. It's actually a very violent word. And the, so lots of translations actually water it down. They use a different word. But the actual word is propitiation, and that is a very violent word. Now look, just try and imagine, okay? This bit is for 18s only. Just imagine someone punishing a person so much until it kills them. And at that point, their anger is absolutely exhausted. There's no anger left. Well, that's what God did with Jesus. The propitiation in verse 25, you can see, is by his blood. Now, the easiest way for us to simply say, yuck, is that what God's really like? Well, let me tell you, we only think like that if we confuse God's anger with our anger. See, the Florida shooting on Wednesday picked on 17 innocent people. 
And we might think, of, well, in that case, God is, is pretty horrible, isn't it? He picks on innocent Jesus and takes it all out on him. But we need to make two points. First is that God's anger is fair. It's not picking out random strangers. It is only aimed at people who deserve it, which happens to be everyone. But also, notice this, that God hasn't picked on Jesus as a kind of random stranger who's passing by and he gets it in the head. No, when he puts forward Jesus, he puts forward Jesus. Jesus is God. And so God is putting himself forward to take God's punishment on himself. And so because God's anger is exhausted in him, it's an amazing thing how the cross works. Because God, because Jesus not only soaks up all God's anger so he hasn't got any left for those who believe in him, I'll come to that in a minute, what also happens across is all Jesus' righteousness. When the law and prophets were saying there has to be a perfect person if they're going to be God, if they're going to be in friendship with God, they're actually pointing to Jesus. And Jesus perfectly keeps the law and the prophets and then on the cross he gives all his righteousness to us as he soaks up all the punishment that we deserve. That's why it's important to call it the Lord's door. And I want to make that point because you might just simply say, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it just simply mean, okay, I remember what Jesus did on the cross, fine, I'll ask him to forgive me, hunky-dory, everything done. <coughs> no. We move out of the law door because we don't have to keep the law, but we move into that door on our knees because Jesus is Lord. We live for him. We say, Lord Jesus, on our knees, we ask you to take our punishment in our place that we might live for you from now on, that new life that you saw Zach coming up to live after the double shock. But here's the thing. When God opens up that Lord's door for us, the law and the prophets don't simply stamp their feet and say, oh no, there's another one that's got past us. And they've gone past our door and they've gone into that other door and they've escaped. Like there's this kind of loophole in the legal system. And Christians have found a way through the loophole to avoid the law and its implications. Now, what the law is saying, we always wanted you to go through that door right from the very start. The law and the prophets in the Bible, if they were here, they would say, you know, we always wanted you to be righteous. The whole reason we were there in the Bible is because we want people to be righteous. The only problem is we would never be able to help you to do that because you are so unrighteous. So all we would do is to show you how unrighteous you were. 
how far you fell short of God's glory. And therefore what we were doing really is not saying how righteous you should be but we're really pointing out right from the first appearance of the law and the prophets of the Bible we're pointing to the future of someone who will come who will be perfectly keeping the law who will be perfectly keeping the prophets who will be perfectly righteous our whole job was always to point to that door so that one day you will be able to walk through that door because God has put him forward as a propitiation for the times we would condemn you. But the point is, until we see what failures we are, until we go through this door and see how many times we've broken the door, how uh, broken the law, how unfit we are for God, until that happens, that we will never want to go into that door. And so that's what uh, we need to see. The law and the prophets say, can you see that once this sacrifice has been paid, Jesus and that God would be perfectly fair to forgive you. In fact, think of it like this. If God was to punish you now, then God would be massively unfair because it means he would be punishing the same sin twice. Because he punished Jesus. And now if he's going to punish you, he's punishing the same sin twice. God is not unfair like that. That's why God is fair to forgive those who come through that door. Like it says in verse 25, now the righteousness of God. Now you can have the righteousness of God. Why? Because it's been manifested apart from the law. And the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We always wanted you to go right from the, the start. Now, what could we take home from uh, this so far? Look, it might be that you are new or newish to Christianity. And as you look back on your life, the kind of thing that might be on your mind is that, yes, you've got things wrong, and mainly other people have been hurt. You can kind of do the maths on that part. People say actually if you've uh, ever suffered from an addiction that there would be at least 10 people seriously hurt as a result of your addiction. It's quite a casualty rate isn't it? Because we don't have that many relationships if we really hurt 10 of them we are in big trouble. Now here's the thing, the Bible actually tells us that we're all addicts and most of us have hurt more than 10 people in our lives if you stop and think about it. And what we do is we try and change ourselves so that we are different people but give it our best shot and nothing changes. But here's the thing, what God is saying to you tonight if you are in that situation is that actually nothing will change in our relationships with other people until we own up to the fact and admit this that our prime crime, if I could call it that is not against other people 
it is against God whose glory we were made to reflect and whose glory we are pretty far short of. And as a result of that, we have provoked the true and living God to great anger against us. And until we come out of that best efforts door, humble and broken, we're always going to stay in that room, trying harder and harder and harder and getting nowhere. But when we finally go into that room and see that it is a dead end, then we can come out and we can walk into a new room and discover that God's forgiveness is the most precious gift that he will give anyone in this life. More precious than anything else. So precious it cost him the life of his son to give anyone the gift of forgiveness. And then, as we see that and look at the amount of times that we fail and keep failing and keep falling short of the glory of God, we suddenly realize what an amazing thing the righteousness of God is, that he could forgive us the way we let him down every single day. And that's what creates a heart-bursting love for God, because whoever is forgiven much, loves much. So it may be that you came in this week and you might have felt a bit broken after things have gone wrong and you've let yourself down, maybe hurt other people in the process. And you come in here for a bit of a steer from the Bible. What the Bible steer is, come out of the law room, go into the Lord room. On your knees, asking God's forgiveness. And you will walk out of that door with a brand new love for Jesus that you've never had before in intensity that grows because he loves you so much to take all the anger of God that you were due on himself so you can have the righteousness of God. Love him for that and for his forgiveness. What happens if you've been to church lots in the past? Now, this is interesting, is it? Because most churches treat the Bible as a kind of manual for life. You know, like they say, the car's got maker's instructions. It tells you not to put petrol into the diesel engine. Okay, I wish I'd read that, at least on two occasions. Um, and you think, okay, that's what the Bible is there for. It tells you it's a manual of how to live. And you go to most churches and that's what you get, a pep talk on how to live. My friends, if that's where you have spent your time, then essentially what you've been doing is you're spending all your time, it's a hard thing to admit that all the times you've been to church, you've gone to a church that's put you in the wrong room. That's told you how you've got to behave in order to get God's approval and the whole point of that room is to tell you how that approval will never come because we've broken the law. In fact, going to church in that kind of mode will make God more angry than anything else. 
You remember the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. They loved spending time in the law room. They never wanted to come out of it. And God was more angry with them than anybody else because frankly that is the room where all the pride swirls around thinking that we can tick the boxes and get better just with a bit more effort. And God is fuming with uh, those in that room because they won't come out of it to humble themselves and to say my righteousness just sucks. But my friend, if you are someone who's come out of that way of thinking because you've been to church lots in the past, let me tell you, you've been in the wrong room and you need to unlearn what you've learned before. Because I'll tell you what, if you live in that law room, I'll tell you what you do. You won't listen to the law telling you that you're getting it wrong. What you will do is you will massage the teaching of the Bible so that it nicely comfortingly fits in with your life and then there won't be any sharp bits to prick your conscience to tell you that maybe you're going wrong every now and then. You'll be in this room which has a nice soft wall covering on it because you put it there to ultimately suppress the truth that the law gives. Because we want to feel comfortable that we're okay in this room. But what happens if you're a real believer? And there is something you want to go out this week. You might say, okay, what must I do as a result of this passage? Go on, tell me, Mike, what must I do? Well, that's to get the whole thing wrong, isn't it? Because if you look at this passage, this passage is not about what you have got to do. It is four times it's telling you, and I wonder if you could do the texting later, Ruth. Um, four times it's telling you, this is about the righteousness of God. It's not what you've got to do. This is about God and what he has done. So go into the new week and just be letting this thought play across your mind. Think about the righteousness of God. Think about it as the way that he gives us level pegging with him. Think about the cost that he paid that we might be righteous apart from the law. Think of what that means every time you fail and you feel a complete scumbag. And the Bible says you have the righteousness of God right now. Because when the righteousness of God comes from somewhere else, nothing you do can change the meter reading. You're secure. Let your mind rest on that. Think on that. Live in that world of joy. That the righteousness of God is ours. For all who believe, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter if you have no righteousness whatsoever. It doesn't matter if you are one of these people that we read last week in verses 10 to 18 whose throat is an open grave, whose tongue is used to deceive, whose the venom of ass is under their tongues, their mouth is full of curse and bitterness, and all that stuff. So you could be one of these people. But in the Lord's room, 
you will have the righteousness of God even if this has been your life in the past I'll just go home with the righteousness of God playing that song in your mind and live this week singing it with great love for Jesus who gave you that as a free gift of grace let's remember that let's pray and then let's have questions and answers after that why don't you spend one minute um, just in your own way you talk to God about what you find is the take-home from tonight and after one minute uh, I'll pray for all of us let me pray our Lord God isn't it true that we often uh, think of different things that we need to do to change our game to make ourselves acceptable and pleasing to you and the trouble is father when we're in the law room doing all those things the one thing we never actually end up with is any deep love for you because we think it's all up to us please father would you do this miracle in our lives that we might understand that what you have done for us through this incredibly expensive sacrifice this propitiation for our sins that you have given Jesus to soak up your anger that we deserve that we might have his righteousness Help us, Father, to know that our security is because of what he has done. That for you to punish us now would be to punish the same thing twice. And you would never do that because you're fair. So please help us to just remember these great truths we've learned tonight for this rest of the week and beyond that we might live and love you for the righteousness that you give us and please because we love you for that righteousness transform us to look like Jesus and to live for his glory in his name we pray Amen